you have your Bible, your phone, your iPad, whatever you have, you can turn with me two places, Isaiah 14, 12, and then also Ezekiel 28, 12 as well. Isaiah 14, 12 and Ezekiel 28, 12. Today, we are starting a brand new series called Exposing the Enemy. Exposing the Enemy. Listen, we have a very real enemy out there who is constantly working and fighting against us. He's actively plotting to defeat and destroy us. But rather than fear him, it's time for us to rise up and remember that we have the authority to overcome the enemy. In this series, we're going to expose different aspects of our enemy's character and reveal how God has fully equipped us to be victorious over him. We'll also be looking at different names and titles of the devil to better understand how he attacks us and more importantly, how we can overcome him. Now, by the way, I want to make this clear. This is not a devil glorifying series. This is a God glorifying series. I want to make that clear. That's why it's called exposing the enemy. We're going to talk about the power of God and how the Lord has equipped us to expose and defeat the enemy. So these are not the ones I gave you. If you have the notes or the app, they'll be there. But I'm going to read these scriptures fairly quickly. I want to show you four scriptures and why it's important. And as I'm reading these scriptures to set up this whole series, I want you to listen to how many times it uses the word the devil or Satan or our enemy in these four passages. First, First Peter 5, 8, 9, it says, stay alert. Watch out your great enemy, the devil. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. I could stop right there. That sums up this series right there, right? The devil is your enemy. He's my enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Matthew 4, 1 and 3. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. I look at Luke 10, 17. When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. Let me pause and say somebody needs to highlight, circle, or underline that verse right there. Jesus said, and you need to notice out the gate, I have given you authority over what? All the powers of the enemy. Again, that's why this is not a devil glorifying uh, 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 series. It's to show you, to expose him and show you we have authority over him and to be victorious over him. Now look at Ephesians 10, I'm sorry, 6. 10 through 13, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, right? It's a God-glorifying series. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Therefore, they say every time you see in the Bible, a therefore, you have to know what it's there for. He said all that to say, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. You know, the reason I read all these scriptures is because all the way back in 2008, the Barna Group, which is a, is a, is a group of, of, of researchers that take surveys within the church. In 2008, the Barna Group did a survey, and listen to this. 60% of Christians, not non-believers, 
60% of Christians don't believe that the devil is real. Some people even think that that number could be higher today. So this is not non-believers. These are people that say they're Christians that don't believe the devil is real. I don't know how you can read just four of the many passages of scriptures in the Bible and not know that the devil is real. There's whole denominations that don't believe that the devil or hell is real either. Whole denominations that are built around the idea and thought that the devil and hell is not real. Which just doesn't make sense. Because if they don't believe what the Bible says about the devil, then they shouldn't believe what the Bible says about Jesus. If they don't believe what the Bible says about hell, then they shouldn't believe what the Bible says about heaven. Why? Because if part of the Bible is wrong, then the whole Bible is wrong. Am I right? It's the whole counsel of the Word of God. Every single word in the Word of God is true. We know God and Jesus is real. Jesus is God's Son. We know heaven is real. We're going to spend eternity for those of us that are born again and surrender our life to Christ. But Jesus himself makes it clear that the devil is real. He himself was tempted and that hell is real. Again, the purpose of this series is not to focus on the devil or give him too much credit, but so we can be protected and victorious over him. See, I think sometimes people go to too far extremes. They either give the devil too much credit, like a belt breaks in your car, and they're like, oh man, the devil's attacking me. No, your belt was 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 or and 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 rotted and you just need a new belt for your car, you know, your radiator belt or whatever. That's not the devil always, right? You ran over some nails, that's why your tire busted. So that's an extreme. We don't want to give him too much credit. But then at the same time we just read if sixty percent of believers, that's the other extreme. They don't believe he's even real, right? We know he's real, but I hope in these next four weeks, today, all through the month of June, we're going to expose the enemy, his tactics, and show you, and hopefully even today when you leave, from that one verse that you know you got authority over all the powers of the enemy. Amen. He is real, but as born-again believers with the Spirit of the living God in us, we have authority. Greater is he that is in us, which is the Holy Spirit, than he who is in the world. That's referring to the devil. So today we're going to start out this series by exposing Lucifer. We're going to begin by learning about the origins of our enemy. And that's why if you're in Isaiah 14, 12, let's start there. It says this, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of, of the congregation. On the farthest sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble and who shook kingdoms? See, understanding the origin of the devil is important. Lucifer actually means light bearer. He was an angel created by God to reflect God's glory. Some even say he was a worship leader in heaven. We know that according to the Bible that there's angels 24-7 around the throne in heaven singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's some of angels' assignments. It's just to worship the Lord. And this points to, and there's many other scriptures, that he was a, 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 the leader of an angelic beings that would worship the Lord. Now look at Ezekiel. Let's see what happened when he became proud. Now remember, God created him. Look at Ezekiel 28, 12, and 17. It says this, You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and ex exquisite in beauty. Let me stop and say, everything God creates is perfect. Right? It's, it's like, in this case, which we'll see in, in, in us, 
Things that we see that are corrupted, people say, why does allow God allow this to happen? Why did God cause this to happen? Listen, the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy the perfection of beauty that God has created. And we have to know that. You have to understand that. We see this here. He was the model of perfection. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone, and it goes on to list many of them. All beautifully crafted for you and set in finest gold. They were given to you on the day you were created. There it is again. I ordained and anointed you as a mighty angelic guardian, right? So he's saying, God's saying, I created you and I ordained you, anointed you to do this. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. See, he wasn't created with evil in him. Evil was found in him, and we'll see why here in a minute. Your rich commerce led you to violence, and you sinned. So I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, O mighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with pride because of your beauty. There's the origin of the, uh, of the devil's sin right there. It was pride. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love for splendor, so I threw you to the ground and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. Come on, let's pray. Even as I'm, I'm preaching about this, Father, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over this service right now. I bind the enemy and all distraction, all confusion off of me and off of these people right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. You've given us authority over all the powers of the enemy, and we expose him today, and I ask that you would help me as I preach your word and the truth that we all receive it, and that the whole of the enemy in the attacks would be recognized and broken off the people of God's life. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Again, Lucifer was a mighty angelic being, beautiful, powerful, even perfect, the Bible says. But one day, instead of worshiping God, he turned his eyes on himself and wanted to be like God. And because of that, he was cast into heaven. See, he was, he was assigned to, to, in essence, to lead worship, to be around the throne and worship God. But because he was this beautiful thing that God created, he started looking at himself and, 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 and it, it turned inwardly. And it, he became prideful. And the, that's where God said, there was sin that was found in you. I created you, but then you sinned by becoming proud. And the Bible said, wanting to ascend even past the throne of God. He wanted to not only be like God, he wanted to go past the Lord. See, and pride was the root of it. So let me, I'm here today to tell you this, church. The calling card of the devil today is still pride. The number one way that the enemy still tries to attack us almost every time is through pride. I've heard it said by many different men and women of God for many different years. If you look at every single root of sin, it's rooted in pride. You can trace it back to pride. I've, I've known, I know a man of God that was in ministry and he fell. He fell morally. He lied and all these things. And he said that, you know what? Uh, he said uh, about pride, that the root was pride. He was arrogant. And he began to tell me, if you can lie to yourself, you can lie to anyone. And he told me the root of it was pride because he thought he'd never get caught. Every root of sin is pride. Every one of us deal with it, and we have to resist the enemy in this area because he will come against us every day and try to get us to become proud. This was the origins of where he came from, and he's still using these tactics today. So let me show you some biblical facts about pride. Number one, it was how the devil deceived Adam and Eve into rebelling against God. Genesis 3, 1 and 7. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of these trees in the garden? Of course not. We may eat 
the fruit from the trees in the garden? The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. And if you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it. Here we go again. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. You remember he wanted to be like God and surpass God. Now he was disguised as a, ser- as a serpent. And he tells Adam and Eve, hey, man, you'll, you'll be like God if you do this. The woman was convinced. By the way, let me stop and say, if the devil can convince you, he got you. She saw that the tree was beautiful and it looked and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame for their nakedness. So they sold fig trees to cover themselves. We see pride was the origin. You're going to be like God. So what did he do? First, the devil, he, he's called God a liar. Surely you won't die. God said you're going to die, but you know what? You're not going to die. Then he says that God's trying to hold you down, but sin's going to make you just like God. You've probably thought or heard or had somebody tell you, man, you know, that church is making you, you know, stop doing all these things. The Bible says not to do this and that. Man, it's just trying to keep you from having fun. You ever heard that? Man, if you do this and do whatever feels good and feels right, man, you're going to be free. You're free to do whatever you want. That's what the enemy told them. And right when they did it, what happened? They felt shame. How many of us have been there? Man, I'm going to do what I want. And then you do it and you feel shamed after. The enemy lied to them. He questioned God's character and then he baited them with pride. You know, he's still doing the same thing today. Does the Bible really say that? Does the Bible really mean that? I know it says it, but you know what? What does that mean? That's just metaphorically. That's just symbolically. That's still happening today. How do I know that? Let's go back to the survey I just read. 60% of the people don't believe what the Bible says about the devil, right? So the enemy is still lying and questioning God's character today. So we got to see that this is the origins of the enemy. And the first time he tempted Adam and Eve, any human being was through pride. Secondly, God hates pride and actively resists it. Proverbs 6, 16 and 19. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood and a heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift and running to evil. False witness who speaks lies and one who sows discard among the brethren. The number one thing that God, that was listed here that God hates is pride. And he says it's an abomination. The word abomination means a detestable thing. And we all deal with it, but we got to realize how serious of a sin pride is. It's an abomination to the Lord. Look at what James 4, 6 says. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, for many years, even myself, we think of the word resist, that God resists pride like this. Just like, oh, no, no, hold on. Don't, don't come close to me. Kind of like, you know, when your kids are all dirty and muddy and wet and they're trying to come give you a hug. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Just got to go take a shower first, man. Like, I love you, but that we, we think God resists the proud like that. But actually, that's not the way God resists the proud. We got to look at what that word means. The Hebrew word for resist is anti-tasso, and it means to set yourself in battle formation against someone. That's how God resists the proud, in battle formation. God forcefully and actively resists the proud, in a sense, with weapons drawn. So when we're walking in pride, That's how he resists us. What a show of force. See, God loves us too much to let us succeed when we're walking in the spirit of the devil. And that's what pride is. 
You can either walk in the Spirit of God or you can walk in the Spirit of the devil, which is pride, which leads to lying and all kind of other things. So that's how God resists the proud. You see, let me say this, church. Again, sometimes people say, oh man, the devil's attacking me. The devil's attacking. The devil's against me. Listen, if you're walking in pride, it may not be the devil that's attacking you. It very may be that God's resisting you. Because he's not going to let you walk in pride and be successful. It's not going to happen. That's what the Bible says, right? Does James 4, 6 say that in your Bible too, right? He actively resists pride. And then thirdly, pride exposes us to spiritual attacks and negates our spiritual authority. We saw there, it says that we have authority over all the power of the enemy. But pride negates that because it's sin. Let's continue reading in James 4 now. Pick up in verse 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now he's telling us that's how we're supposed to resist the devil. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. That's some strong words there, right? But the context here is being prideful, having sin. And we know pride is sin. And we see that because at the end he says to humble yourself. So here's the triple whammy of pride. God resists us. The devil attacks us. And we have no authority. That's what happens when we walk in pride. When we live in pride, it's the spirit of the enemy. God Resist us, the devil attacks us, and then we lose authority that the Lord has given us over him. I want to present something to you that may challenge your way of thinking. If you've been saved or been in church any amount of time, I know it challenged me as I was studying for this. The antidote for pride isn't humility. The antidote for pride is worship. The antidote for pride is worship. Let's go back to the origins. The devil didn't go from humility to pride. He went from worship to pride. He went to worshiping God, to turning his eyes on himself, and he became proud. Because think about it. A non-believer can be humble. An atheist can be humble. You ever met a non-believer, don't believe in Jesus at all, but is a very humble person? Anybody can be humble, but it takes somebody that knows the Lord that wants to worship the Lord, right? So the antidote to, to pride, the origins of the enemy, the sinful pride, is worship. Like I said, Lucifer didn't go from humility to pride. He went to worship from pride. You will never stay in a state of pride when you're worshiping God. If you're truly worshiping God in spirit and in truth, like the, the Lord says, right, we can walk in the spirit of the devil or we can worship in spirit. That's the Holy Spirit in truth. That's what Jesus said. We'll, we'll never be prideful. We stay humble when we stay worshipful. We stay humble when we stay. You want to humble yourself? It starts with worship. Think about it, because even that scripture I just read in James 7, what does it say? It says, submit to God first. It says, humble yourself last, right? So humility don't come first. It's worship first. We submit, surrender, worship God, and in his presence is when we humble ourselves, right? Amen? Now, I want to give you three powerful and practical reasons, kind of second half of this message. Three practical and powerful reasons why we should worship God. Because, again, this all goes back to exposing the enemy. The origins that he was worshiping God, then he became prideful. We see the dangers of pride, the truth about pride. And so he took his eyes off himself. So we know the antidote if you're dealing with pride. And we all have. At some point or another in this building, everybody has dealt with some form of pride. Whether it's in your mind, just thoughts, your words, the way we've dealt with stuff, the way we walk things out, the way we've looked at people, thought about other people. Come on, somebody. We've all done it, right? 
But the antidote is worship. So three reasons why we worship God and how it's an antidote to pride. Number one, worship keeps our lives God-centered. Worship keeps us God-centered instead of me-centered, right? Look at the scripture I'm about to read. It's King David. He's speaking to himself here. He's writing this psalm, but it's like he's speaking to himself. And it's Psalm 103, 1 through 13. It says this, Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good thing he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and feel with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards us who fear him is great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Come on, somebody, if you're discouraged, you need to read Psalm 103, 1 through 13. If you feel like you're focusing on yourself and your circumstances and your situation, read these 13 verses as David penned them. He was taking his focus off of himself. Because you got to remember, David penned a lot of these Psalms when he was running and hiding in the cave because King Saul was trying to kill him. Or he had just messed up and sinned with Bathsheba and murdered a man. So it, it, he wasn't writing all this stuff when things were good. He was focusing on the Lord when things wasn't so good. See, praise and worship is a discipline to remind us that the Lord means everything to us. He's my father. He's my friend. He's my protector. He's my provider. Amen? That's what worship does. In Psalm 34.3, David also said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let me ask you a question. Can God get any bigger than he is? No, no, he's right. So why would they? God's, God is who he is. He can't get any bigger, right? So why would David say, magnify the Lord with me? Because what happens is when we worship, the Lord gets bigger in our view. He gets bigger in our heart. He gets bigger in our perspective, right? See, I want to serve a big God and resist the little devil. What about you? And what happens is when we worship the Lord, when we magnify God, he gets bigger to us as we worship and the devil gets smaller. Isn't that right? But you know what? The opposite is true, too. When you don't worship and you focus on yourself and your circumstances, the devil seems to get bigger and God gets smaller, right? That's why I always say when you worship, your problems are here. You begin to magnify the Lord. Your problems get less and less. You're magnifying the Lord and you're remembering. That's what David was doing. He was pinning like all that the Lord had did for him. No telling what he was going through. But he said, man, he forgave me my sins. I love that. He removed that sin as far as the east is to the west. That's not an accident either. Even geographically, if you go north, eventually you'll start going south again, or even on the globe. But if you go west, you'll always be going west. You go east, you'll always be going east. East and west will never meet each other, right? David knew exactly what he was pinning. He remembered all of these things to keep his life God-centered. Worship is not just something we do on Sundays. It's something we, we don't or do Every once in a while. It should be something we do all the time. Worship should actually be a part of who we are. It should be a part of who we are. And we see the power of worship. Number two, worship keeps our faith in God strong 
and active. Psalm 16, 8 and 9. Again, King David, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh always will rest in hope. You know, every day we'll come across problems, issues, challenges, people's people that we disagree with or having problems with at work, family issues, whatever the case may be. But when you set the Lord before, if you don't set the Lord before you, then all of those issues and challenges, you're going up against those things by yourself. But when you set the Lord before you and worship and keep him as David did, he said, look, I'm not going to be moved. I have all this stuff going on, but David was a worship. He says, I, I won't be moved. But when you set God before you, you see people and challenges through a God filter. And listen, I finished this message last Thursday. And this morning, when I woke up and the Lord gave me that word in, in, in Mark, it goes right along with this, right? He said, you're seeing things only through a human point of view, not through God's point of view. When you set the Lord before you in worship, that's what it does. You start seeing things through God's point of view, through a God filter, just like Jesus said we need to do. And think about it. This is how David defeated Goliath. Many people know the story of David and Goliath. Just to summarize it real quick, you got the Philistines lined up, the Israelites lined up. They're about to go to battle. Goliath comes out, starts mocking God, starts, you know, mocking the Israelite army. And these guys are literally trembling in their boots. And David goes run to the battlefield just to get a report on his brothers, bring some food. And uh, he says, hey, man, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That is mocking our God and challenging the army. And they're like, yeah, nobody wants to go fight him, man. That dude's huge. And David says, I'll go. He's like, man, you're just a boy. Like, what's, what, some, you know, in our culture, you'd probably say, T-boy, you ain't, you ain't going to go do anything, right? What you, what you talking about? And he said, hey, look, I, I can go and cut this dude's head off. And sure enough, when he went out to Goliath, what did he say? You come at me with sword and spear, but I come at you in the name of the Lord my God. He put the Lord before him in front of Goliath. Why? Because David was a worshiper. He also went on to say, hey, look, when I was in the sh tending the sheep, man, these bears and lions came at me, and man, I, I slayed both of them. And the Lord's going to do the same thing to this uncircumcised Philistine. And we know Saul tried to put his armor on, didn't fit too big. He said, man, let me get a few stones, slang at, at Goliath, dropped him. Sure enough, went over there, took his own sword and cut his head off, just like he said he would, because he put the Lord before him. I will always put the Lord before us. See, again, that giant didn't look like a giant to David because his God was magnified. Amen? Come on, what giants are you allowing to continue to mock you and the Lord in your life? Come on, let's always keep the Lord before us, right? He goes on to say this, I have set the Lord always before me, therefore my heart is glad. You know, there's some people that are, that get really low. And listen, I know and I understand that depression's a real thing and many different things can cause depression, many different circumstances. But I recently heard a pastor say something and there's a lot of truth to it. I believe it is true. He said the number one thing that causes depression is thinking about yourself. It's thinking about yourself and circumstances. I'm not negating what you're going through. Not at all. But listen, church, I'm, if I'm talking to born-again believers... And, 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 and we know that he says, listen, I set the Lord before me forever, so my heart is glad. I can be going through a lot of things, but listen, and I get it. And look, there, there's other ways I, we believe in counseling. We believe in that. We've sent people to professional counseling. That are, we, we believe all of that, and I'm all about that. But I'm saying here today, if you're feeling some depression coming on, you need to start worshiping. Focus, take your focus off of yourself and what's going on in your problems and start focusing on the Lord, right? Oh, magnify the Lord with me.
I believe the bigger God gets to you, the, the, the gladder your, your heart will get. And yes, look, we're here to help. If you're dealing with that, man, we want to walk with you, want to help you. We want to get you some help. But I'm telling you, it starts with worship. My wife and I was talking about this before we left the house this morning, how important worship is and how important it is to, to, to get alone with the Lord and focus on him. Amen. Also, since pride starts with thinking about yourself, the Bible says that pride goes before destruction. So before we move on from this, whatever you're trying to accomplish through pride, it's eventually going to fail because pride goes before destruction. If you're walking in pride and you're trying to be successful in your job, in your home, in school, in whatever you do, if it's in pride, it's going to fail because pride goes before destruction. Amen? And then the third and final thing, Worship keeps everything in its correct perspective. And this really goes along with the word from this morning that the Lord gave me. The right perspective, a God perspective. What I'm about to read to you in this last line is the, is, is the last line from the Lord's Prayer. Jesus' disciples said, Lord, how should we pray? And he said, pray this way. Some people know it as the Our Father. Some people know it as the Lord's Prayer. And what I'm about to read is the very last line of that. Of, of, it's really a template that Jesus gave us. Matthew 6, 13 and Jesus says this, as we pray unto the Father, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. When it says that the, that word the is an absolute statement. So what it's saying is, Lord, when I get up this morning, I'm not going to try to build my own kingdom because there's only one kingdom. Yours is the kingdom the power, and the glory forever and ever. So you know what? We know that. Pride says, I'm going to try to be a part of this kingdom and go off here and build my little kingdom over here. But no, it says, Lord, yours is the kingdom, the only one. So when we pray, that's what we're saying, that yours is the only one, Lord, that the absolute, there's no pride. That, that I want to focus on helping build your kingdom. The reason we do things like serve day or any outreaches is we're trying to build the kingdom of God. Which are we not? Yes, I mean, we love for people to come to Family Life Church because that's part of helping people get in the kingdom. But the ultimate goal is, you know what? People come and people go in church. If we help people come in the kingdom of God and live for all eternity, then we rejoice and we celebrate. Amen? Because it's only, there may be different, many different buildings and names of churches, but there's only one kingdom. Right? Amen. He also goes on to say, yours is the power. We don't have any power of our own, right? Acts 1.8 says that we, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Our power source is from the Lord, right? There's only one source of power, and it's the Holy Spirit. And then he says, and yours is the glory. See, me and you, we shouldn't try to take or have any glory. I can't take credit for any of my gifts or any good I've done. He gets all the glory. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. Absolute. Listen, God don't share his glory with anybody. The devil tried, and look what happened to him. We're talking about him today, right? He don't share his glory with anybody. Listen, as a sports fan, and you may watch sports tonight, isn't it refreshing when somebody scores a touchdown that they may kneel in the end zone? And I know Tim Tebow was one of the ones that made that real popular, even tagged it as Tebow. And isn't it refreshing when somebody kneels in the end zone or maybe points to heaven instead of beating their chest? Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? Look, and I don't know. I know Tim Tebow's a man of God, but I don't know where these other guys, but even in that moment, I'd much rather see them point, kneel down and point to heaven and instead of beating them chest and, and, and saying, man, this is all about me, right? I mean, you hear it all the time. I'm the best receiver in the league, man. I'm the best DB in the league. You hear it all the time. Well, you know what? God's not going to share his glory with anybody. 
2 Timothy 3, 1 and 2 says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people, he goes on to explain, for people will love only themselves and their money. This sound familiar? They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. Do you think we're living in these times? Absolutely. But as people's pride, boastfulness, and scoffing at God increase, we're called to walk in humility. And again, it starts with a lifestyle of worship. These things should increase even more. Amen? So as I close, I want to challenge you today. Again, we're exposing the enemy and his attacks and his origin. Even though pride is very normal in our world today, the Bible calls it an abomination. And we have to deal with it. We have to deal with it as an attack from the enemy, but we also have to deal with it as sin in our lives when we succumb to it, right? James 4 says that if we humble ourselves before God and resist the devil, then we will have authority over him. Listen, you won't have authority over the devil when you're walking in the same spirit as him. Okay, that's all right. I brought my own amen again. You won't have authority over the enemy when you're walking in the same spirit of him. Let me give you another example. The only way you can defeat a spirit is with the opposite spirit. People say fight fire with fire. That don't work. If you fight fire with fire, you get a bigger fire. Right? And that's why even Jesus said to love your enemies and do good to those that hate you. Jesus said you have to do the opposite to defeat evil. Right? So, again, if we're going to defeat the enemy, we're exposing him. We we're, we're, we have authority over We're going to walk in that authority Jesus has given us. We have to walk in worship and walk in humility. We must com combat pride by taking our eyes off of ourselves, our circumstances, and by worshiping the Lord. Remember, submit to God comes first, then humble yourself comes last. Submission, surrender, and worship should be first, and in that comes humility. So as we close in this time of prayer, would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? I know at some point every single person in this room, myself included, has dealt with some form of pride. You may be dealing with it. You may have even been walking in it right now. For some of you, I feel like when I said that you think the devil's been resisting you, it could have been the Lord because you're walking in pride. So I want to start out by repenting of any pride in our life. Can we do that this morning, church? I know I'm going to pride that at the first service. I'll do it again because I know it's been a temptation. I've succumbed to it myself. But it's, a, it's, it's the origins of our enemy, and it's still his number one playing card. Come on, let's pray. Father, come on, I want you to pray as well. Lord, would you forgive me for pride, Lord? Forgive me for giving in, giving in to the attack of the enemy and having pride in my life. Lord, we know that, Lord, yeah, you've given us authority over all the powers of the enemy, but we can forfeit that authority if we're walking in pride. So, Lord, we repent. Come on, just ask him right now to forgive you, Lord. Forgive me for walking in pride, even in my thoughts, maybe in my words, maybe in my actions, the way I treat people or I've thought about people, Lord, I compared myself to people. And as a church, we repent and pray that you would please forgive us of any pride in our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. Now, I just also sense that we need to come again and pray and bind up depression. Can we do that? 
You may be in here today or you may know somebody that's dealing with depression on the verge of it. And I just feel like we need to come against that thing. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, I bind up all depression, Lord. I bind up, Lord. I pray people that may be feeling depressed or on the verge of depression, that they get their eyes off of themselves and their circumstances and put their eyes on you, Lord, that they would begin to worship. Lord, I know it is a process. It's not going to happen overnight. There's many different ways, Lord God, for us to help people with depression. But I know we're exposing the enemy today and we believe it's a demonic stronghold as well so we bind depression we break depression Lord you said that you would give us a garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness break the spirit of heaviness of, of, of lowliness and of depression off of the people of God today Lord in Jesus name I pray in Jesus name and one more thing I want to pray about James 4 6 again God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble Ephesians 2 tells us that God saves those he saves us by his grace when we believe. That word believe means to trust. When we trust in Jesus and we humble ourselves and say, Lord, I need you. See, pride says, I don't need God in my life. You may even come to church on Sundays and even every once in a while on a Wednesday, but you say, man, I don't need God in every part of my life. You do need God in every part of your life. And if you want to spend eternity and have eternal life with the Lord, you need to have Jesus in your life. If you're not right with God and you need God in your life, I encourage you before we leave to humble yourself. Put your faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross. He died on the cross for you and I's sins. The Bible says we've all sinned. And we talked about pride today. We focus on pride, the origin of, of every sin. We've all sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. And the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And we know that word means eternal death because the second part says eternal life. Again, every Sunday, church, we're praying about somebody that passed, a funeral. If you say, Brandon, if today was my last day on this planet, I don't know if I'm right with God. I don't know if I if if if, if I breathe my last, where I'd spend eternity. Because again, hell is real and heaven is real. And we're only going to go to one place and there's no holding place either. If you've been taught that, it's not true. The Bible talks about heaven and hell. If you say, Brandon, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I don't know if I'm right with God. But I want to get right. I want to humble myself and declare my need for him today through Jesus. Just lift up your hand. I want to pray for you. Say, Brandon, I need to get right with the Lord. I see your hand, ma'am, over here. Anybody else in the middle? See your hands. See your hands over here. Thank you. Thank you. Over here to my right. Hands still going up right here. Anybody else? Anybody else before we pray? Say, man, I need to get right with the Lord. Hands over here. Another hand going up. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Now the Bible says if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord you shall be saved. Come on, I just want to lead you in a simple prayer. It's really not even the, an exact prayer. I just want to lead you. It's really uh, uh, the faith in your life. But we're all going to pray this together. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me, Lord. I know that I've sinned, and I ask that you forgive me of all of my sins. I turn from them today, and I turn to you and make you my Lord and Savior. Now give me the grace to walk with you, to worship you, and to live humbly, Lord God, before you and before others. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen and amen. Come on, let's celebrate with these that just made that decision. Come on, if you prayed that prayer, made that decision for the first time in a long time, there's a card in the pew. You can fill it out. It says connection card. Um, and then you can bring it to the info center and we'll give you a Bible. Hey, before you leave, before you leave, I want you to stand up. I want to do something. Hey, you know what? The restaurants will still be open when you leave. Just give us just a few more minutes. Hey, I feel like I can't preach a word like this and talk and stress the importance of worship 
without us leaving here worshiping together one more time. Amen. I ask Nathan just to lead us in a couple of choruses. Come on, let's leave here today focusing on the Lord. Amen. Come on, why don't you lift up your heart, lift up your hands, and lift up your voice to the Lord this morning. Come on, let's join the angels today, church. Come on, this is what they're saying all around the throne, 24-7. Come on, lift it up. Lift up your hands, lift up your voice. Thank you, Jesus. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. You are holy. Holy are you, Lord God Almighty? Worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb, for you are holy. Lift up your voice. Are you Lord God Almighty? You are worthy. You are holy, Lord. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy, worthy, worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy, worthy is the Lamb. He's worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. Amen. Yes, you are worthy. Amen. Amen, Lord. You are worthy. We love you. We bless you today, Lord. We focus on you. Help us to keep our hearts, our minds, and our eyes forever focused on you, Lord. Bless these as they go today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless y'all. We love y'all. If you need prayer for anything specifically, we'll be here to pray with you. If not, have a great week.